The recent issues surrounding the nationwide shortage of baby formula have brought to light some key concerns about the lack of oversight and lack of competition for an industry that is considered vital to so many. It's a partner party this week here on Chain Reactions with CEO Mike Raftery, COO Christy Nadick, and CTO Patrick Green as they draw from their extensive experience in the healthcare and pharma fields to take a deeper look at the role of supply chains in this baby formula crisis. All right. Three, two, one. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Raftery, a party here with SCM Connections. Welcome to next episode of Chain Reactions. We have a partner full uh, lineup today. So with me, as always, is Pat Green. Hello, everyone. And guest of honor, who is super jazzed up and ready to go, Christy Nadick. I'm so excited to be invited. So the interesting part about this podcast is we kind of came at it with, well, let's just see what happens. And the current events are writing the, <laughs> the podcast notes for us because every week is a different, like horrific crisis to deal with. And so today's was baby formula, something near and dear to everybody's heart. Um, because, I mean, if there's anything that moms fear the most, it's being able to feed their children, I would say. I mean, it's yeah. got to be at least top five. Um, and you're putting that at risk and it's a supply chain problem and we're all kind of all over it. So just a little bit of a background of why we think we can have a decent opinion on it. Um, I, you know, we all kind of came from the medical pharmaceutical background. So Pat, why don't you give a little bit of why, um, you know, what your background in farm and then Christy, you can go on the medical side. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, my I grew up in the uh, uh, supply chain space for a pharmaceutical company based out of Indianapolis, and um, I also worked with their spinoff for an animal health uh, uh, a company. And you know, it, it's interesting because uh, you know their whole supply chain, pharma supply chain, is very different from what you would normally see in consumer products or um, any really any other uh, any other industry. It's not typically it's all about not running out and making sure that the patient is is supplied at any given cost in terms of inventory, et cetera. So um, with that being said, there are multiple uh, failure and choke points as well as, I, I, would, I wouldn't call them delays, but inefficiencies within the supply chain that make it, uh, you know, very difficult for to, to manage um, and manage efficiently or effectively. Um, so, you know, I, I would not call pharmaceutical supply chain some of the best run in the, in the world. Um, and that's probably, it's kind of, partially by design because, you know, there, there is so, so much risk and you're, you know, dealing with people's lives, et cetera, and so many checks and double checks and triple checks. Um, so kind of having that background is, it'll be interesting for this conversation today because even though Baby Formula is part of the pharmaceutical space and owned by a, a spinoff of a pharmaceutical company, at least one of the big players, um, you know, they're regulated in the FDA space, which makes it um, very difficult to kind of move quickly and with any, um, any urgency. Yeah. And, and Christy, you come from the other side of it, the hospital. I don't even know if hospitals call it supply chains. They probably call it something. We do. Well, you know, materials management, supply chain, resource management, whatever you want to call it. But yes. Uh, so my hospital background is supply chain operations turnarounds, uh, including pharmaceuticals uh, where these products fall. But I mean, to use a really sophisticated supply chain term, infant formula has always been a completely jacked up supply chain. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you start there? Walk us through the uniqueness of how that 
consumer product slash pharmaceutical thing gets into the hospitals to begin with? Absolutely. So uh, you're as a hospital, there, there are really two primary players in this market and your they make standard issue baby formula. Also, some really sophisticated uh, neonatal, you know, NICU products uh, and your pricing as a hospital on those really sophisticated uh, pharmaceutical NICU products is based on how much free standard formula uh, you accept or consume. So how much you give out to your patients. So these are the bags you get in your room. The cans, yes. The the congratulations on having your baby. Here's a big can of free formula for you to take home with you as a swag gift. Um, hoping that, you know, I can joke, but like the first taste is free and then you're hooked and you continue to buy that brand because clearly the hospital gave it to you. So they must have full medical faith that assistant. brand is the best thing for your baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, after, you know, after that, it, it it really, if a hospital promotes something called a baby friendly, which is breastfeeding first, then they have to pay for all that free formula. And that is, uh, you know, for any reasonable size uh, uh, maternity labor and delivery program, that is adding hundreds of thousands of dollars of cost a year. So they they really are uh, disincentivizing uh, using the free supply source and uh, incentivizing hospitals to to push the formula. Um, but it, it really, I, I'd say too the the shame on this. It, it's really expensive then in the market, as everybody knows. If you've if you've been lucky enough to have a child and you know fed that child with formula, it's really expensive. And the families that suffer the most, of course, disproportionately are mothers on WIC uh, because you have to buy all of your allocation of monthly formula in one stop in one place. So if they only have two cans, then you're just short two cans for the rest of the month. Um, if you have to go find some place that has your full allocation or you just use it or lose it. Um, also, you know, food bank donations are down and a lot of families rely, especially right now in the COVID era, rely on food banks to feed their families. So this is, I mean, this is a tragedy. Right. It's interesting as you kind of, uh, as you, uh, as you talk through that, because, you know, my son was, uh, was in the NICU for about 12 days and, um, you know, was fed formula, um, uh, infant formula, I mean, or, or neonatal formula. And really, you know, uh, by the time he was home, he was he was eating, you know, formula and, and did not uh, breastfeed and difficult breastfeeding. So we fed him formula. And at that point, you know, that was a, a year and a half kind of process um, where he was on the same formula. And once you're on, you don't switch. So, uh, you know, really, if you kind of think about them from a marketing perspective and kind of the try before you buy or, you know, um, the first taste is free, as my, uh, you know, as your drug dealer says, uh, you know, that's kind of it was true. And, and we didn't move on from it. And it's just, you know, you pay up and, and whatnot. I mean, this was 15 years ago, but but still the kind of concept applies. So that's interesting that that's I mean, it always felt like a conscious decision, but I didn't know the, the ins and out, outs of it from behind the scenes. Yeah. And you make a great point, Pat, um, about the infant formula is regulated by the FDA. So the factories undergo a rigorous uh, quality assurance pro process. But even with that, I mean, four babies have gotten sick from two different bacteria from the current recall 
manufacturer. So the FDA, my understanding, yesterday just confirmed that they are cleared to start manufacturing again at their Michigan plant. It'll be two weeks before they can get that plant up and running again. And they're estimating six to eight weeks after that, that they'll be able to restock their shelves. That's a long time to struggle to feed your kids. I think that supply chain constraint is a unique one in itself. So we have the fact that it's a critical part and people are dedicated to their own. And Pat, you and I kind of started in the pharmaceutical industry in manufacturing. Um, Why don't you walk through just a high level overview of like what GMP is and the implications of an audit on uh, manufacturing plants, which may be different than even an auto recall or a consumer products recall. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, so GMP is really CGMP, which is current good manufacturing uh, processes, which is really what the, um, you know, the lifeblood, or not really the lifeblood, but the template for uh, manufacturing within the pharmaceutical space, right? So essentially what it is, is, you know, guidelines that are given down by the FDA, which would then define how to manufacture in an appropriate way in the pharmaceutical or medical area, right? So there are things like how you do assays and testing and uh, the expectation in terms of cleanliness and sterilization and, um, you know, all of those things. You would think that they are very, you know, down to the minute detail uh, in terms of what they prescribe. But at the end of the day, it's pretty vague and it's open for a lot of interpretation. So GMP would be how the, the, the company defines GMP. But regardless, what it is is that, you know, the FDA, um, you know, that kind of moves in and out in terms of what, what they would expect from a manufacturing um uh, manufacturing uh, site, either either in the chemical manufacturing, the EPI manufacturing for pharmaceuticals, or the packaging side. I mean, and the rules are kind of known within the industry, but they're not explicitly stated. And again, they're they're kind of up for interpretation. Uh, so one of the big things is you get annual inspections from the FDA, and then you have random inspections. And you know, the the, the kiss of death is a 483. If you get a 483, that's kind of the uh, you know like some padlock the gates, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, it's not quite padlocking the doors, but it's it's seriously you've got some serious manufacturing issues within your um, there are serious quality issues within your manufacturing facilities. And again, it's all about keeping the medicines um, safe and uh, and you know clean and all of those things. And you know if you think about things like injectables and um, you know parenteral products, which are you know going into your body. I mean that's that's a lot of risk you know, to keep our medical supply chain, um, you know, uh, safe. And so uh, when it happens, you have a, it is a big deal if you have what's considered a 483. And then the kiss of death is a a cease and desist, which sounds like what happened uh, for our friends over in Michigan, which essentially means that the FDA will come in and do a complete audit. And um, in this case, because it is, a, a critical component or a critical uh, product, you know, they move fairly quickly, right? And with supply chain shortages, you've got an issue. Now, if you have something that's got competitors, they may be a little bit more stringent on it. Um, but they work with you to get your, your processes back up to speed. And again, Chris, you're saying they should be ready to, they've, they've been given the approval this week or? That was or my understanding. Yesterday, they got the approval. And they're saying it'll be two weeks before they can have the lines running again to make all the improvements. Right. And the interesting thing about it is when they do have a 483, I mean, it is, and to be quite 
blunt, I mean, people can go to jail, right? And so that's always the, you know, people, <laughs> if you don't have your processes under control in a, in a medical environment, right, and pharmaceutical environment, I mean, people go off in handcuffs and it's happened before. I mean, it's pretty rare, but it has happened. And sure, so, it's negligence and fraud. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny around it. And because of that, people are very conservative and cautious um, about making, I don't want to say making decisions, but making sure that they check, double check, triple check, and then verify, et cetera. So my point there being is it takes a long time for something to process through and get the approval from, from manufacturing of a site, from the API to the um, form fill finish, and API is the active pharmaceutical ingredient, to the form fill finish, basically taking white powder, putting in a pill form or a capsule, and then packaging it. I mean, that's you know, that can be several months. And then the QA approvals for each one of those steps or the quality assurance and the assays and the testing that's completed uh, can be weeks, if not months, for some of those tests to come back. And then there's a formal review and a formal approval. So when you think about all of those things, you don't turn on a dime. It's not like you're making widgets or toys or something like that. I mean, that is a eight, 12 week, even at the in the best of times, um, to, to roll something through and, and complete it in terms of your cycle, your manufacturing cycle from, from start to finish. So this is not going away soon and it will not go away quickly. And um, it will likely go for six to 12 months before they get even, even into a point where they stabilize. Right. Now, from what I've that. read, the FDA has committed to ensuring um, that they're easing uh, the the shortages. But that said, because it is an FDA regulated product, uh, foreign any foreign imports they would bring in have to meet very specific ingredient uh, requirements already set by the FDA. Uh, so they're struggling to find um, foreign supply that meets their sourcing specifications, if you will. Uh, right. So it, it, you know, that that is a very, a very minimal option in easing the shortages. The other option is, you know, private label brands, which uh, tend to manufacture under specific, you know, Amazon, Target, Costco, whatever it might be that manufacture under. And they have traditionally been a very, very small percentage of the market. Uh, and they're obviously not available in hospital settings. Uh, so I know those manufacturers reports read that they're doing literally everything they can functioning, you know, pushing their factories at 125% of, of capacity to try and ease the needs and demand as well. But they're just aren't a lot of great options. So, so here's the one that I just tested out while we were talking. And Christy, this is going to make you cringe. Um, <sighs> but give me, yeah, so so give me your feedback on this. So I went to Amazon, didn't see any formula. I changed my region to Canada in my website and I can get it tomorrow. Yeah, these are the, I mean, these are the trade-offs that you've got to make a decision for your family. And these are hard decisions coming. You know, the American Pediatric Association is urging parents not to make homemade baby formula out of milk powder or whatever, you know, ingredients they might find on the internet. Uh, they're urging them not to import from Mexico or Canada because it may not meet uh, the very stringent requirements of the U.S. FDA. Uh, but I, I mean, when your choices are nothing or something. I mean, right. that's Sophie's choice if there ever was one. Not sure it is. Right. 
which is why I am a huge advocate of controlling your your domestic supply chain um, in any way you can. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, you know, one of the one of the companies here that I work with, um, they were big in the the insulin space, and even though it wasn't, it was not a profitable business for a long time. And when I say profitable relative to the branded pharmaceuticals and the blockbusters that are coming out, it's just kind of steady cash flow. And uh, and the FDA just wouldn't let them get out of the business because it was deemed a, a health, uh, let's see, a priority for uh, the the health and safety of the, of the country, right? Um, so there are some exceptions to that, uh, but I, I, I've never heard of that for baby formula, right? So... Um, you know, and basically what they did is they they controlled the supply of the insulin market at that point because you only had a few suppliers. And the interest for this current company at that time was not to, you know, not to put money in, in research and R&D and, and capital investments into that space. So, uh, you know, the FDA kind of forced their hands on it. So they can't do it. It's not it's not that they can. It's just that, you know, the cat's kind of the horse is out of the barn at this point. Exactly so. So. Yeah, so it, it does raise an interesting thing. I mean, I would say the the medical field, specifically on some of these elements, is closest to a socialized industry as you would get in the U.S. Most sure, the government can tell you you may not actually stop, you know, hospitals and the government can tell you you may not stop manufacturing this product, if, whether you want to or not. And the government can tell hospitals they cannot close their emergency rooms or they, they may not close whether they are profitable or not. Uh, it's it's really intriguing. Yeah, definitely. And so, um, so I think that's sort of, you know, you're seeing where, why some of these things are. I mean, you can, you know complain about the government or, you know, regulations. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, you kind of are, are happy that those things are in place and appreciate the need for maybe more robust supply chain uh, shock absorbers out there. Redundancies, correct. Yeah. Yep. So, Pat, I mean, despite the fact that it wasn't a profitable industry, I remember working in it, it was hugely complex compared to putting mm -hmm. a pill in a jar for erectile dysfunction or something like that. I mean, it's right. like, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's not glamorous, but you got to do it, and that's sort of where this gray line or gray area exists of, you know, how much you get into it because they don't want to keep it, right? Especially something like insulin, especially something like baby formula. It's bulky. It's you know, hard to right. manage. The distribution's a little wonky. Um, so who manages that? I'll leave. I'll let's leave with a philosophical question of that in terms of let's see how left leaning we we are as a podcast. How how do you how how would you manage a safety stock having seen the impact? I mean, it's one thing to, to talk about in the abstract, but here we are. And so how would you go about, um, how does this change your thoughts on kind of what a supply chain managed outside of a corporation might look like? Uh, it's interesting because you have, especially in the, in the medical field, you have a, there's a, a social contract that when you when something's approved by the FDA that it'll be available at a reasonable price and you know I mean we talk reasonable but available for consumption by uh, consumers and it'll be available um, you know for patients and uh, you know insulin's one of those things that you know there there weren't for a long time many uh, 
advancements in the insulin technology. And then the other thing is when you're dialed into your insulin therapies, you're dialed in for life, typically, if not life, certainly. The same as the baby formula, right? 10 to 20 years, exactly. So it's the same kind of thing, right? Once you're on that difficulty of transitioning to another formula, it's, you know, three to six months to get dialed in. Baby formula in a, in a shorter cycle. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, the, the I, I would say, Interestingly enough, the one area that we had the most amount of difficulty managing the supply chain was in the uh, the insulin department, their allocations, et cetera. And it was also the riskiest because it was the most complex and it was also the most, uh, um, I would call it, I don't want to say irrational, but more, uh, you know, had a lot of... A lot of failure points in within the uh, the insulin area, and it was just it was expensive. Um, you know, the FDA does allow you to make profitability, et cetera, from it, but the market only bears so much. So, um, you know, it was it was difficult, and I would say that's the area that we spent most of our time managing out product allocations for. You know, uh, certainly in Europe, uh, you know, from country to country. Um, you know, the FDA and the the European Medical Association would would kind of step in and help give that direction at some point. Um, but yeah, from a supply chain, keeping safety stocks on hand, all of that, I mean, there's just not, because they're in pharmaceuticals, there are so many other opportunities that it's hard to justify the allocation of capital and the allocation of uh, financial commitment to make that available. I mean, that it is what it is, uh, at least in the, as the, and this was when I was there, it was pre-Obamacare. Um, so, it was hard. I mean, it was hard, and I would say uh, not all that successful. We always had shortfalls and shortages. Yeah, yep. And especially I mean, these are products that have a very defined and not um, all that long shelf life. I mean, granted, mm. uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's it's not fresh dairy, but baby formula does have a very defined shelf life. And, and as a pharmaceutical, it really can't be used after the defined shelf life. So, uh, you know, there's not a stockpile opportunity as there are with some other products. Uh, and uh, I'd say unlike insulin, uh, requirements, specifications for baby formula vary wildly from country to country. Regulation varies wildly from country to country. Uh, so the substitutions are not as readily available as they may be globally for other pharmaceutical products. It's really a, uh, you know, you hate to use the cliche, it's really a perfect storm situation. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a good point because on the baby formula side, um, you know, most countries will accept the uh, the approvals of the U.S. or European Medical Association or the Japanese, Japanese being probably the most stringent. Um, and normally, you know, most companies will accept that or countries will accept that as an approval for, that it's safe, right? So once it's approved, it's approved typically globally, first by the U.S. or first by EMEA, then by the U.S., and then finally by Japan. Um, and what that means, though, is that you can go into these other markets. Well, that's not the case with formula, right? You don't have a global supply chain because, like you say, everyone that's really in the food part of it rather than the drug part of it, of the FDA. So... Yeah, you yeah. can't import it, right? The Canadian one I was on, it was all Nestle. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas in, in a few years ago, you had a lot of re-importation issues with Canadian pharmaceuticals coming back to the U.S., which 
triggered a whole different set of uh, supply chain concerns in terms of uh, what a real forecast was and everything. But and that was difficult to manage. But this is this is even a little bit more difficult because you can't re-import something or constrain it from going to another country if you're supplying it. You don't really have a global supply chain, if you will. So. Um, uh, just one more, one more nail on the coffin in terms of people being able to feed their babies this summer. Cool. Well, this was an uplifting one. I think it's it's interesting yep. though, that all of these little sort of elements kind of come together in perfect storms like this, and it's interesting to see it. I mean, things that you knew kind of come to the front as you're right in the middle of the supply chain, and that's why we do this. As that, it's just an interesting profession it's a never-ending supply of just insane problems um mm -hmm. this one kind of hits home more than others but um and each line has its own little uh, as you peel the layers of the onion back each product category each industry has its own interesting esoteric quirky little quirks and niches that are so interesting every it makes every day like jeopardy Yes. Well, you know, and the funny thing is um, what we're seeing, what I think is most fascinating is we're seeing a lot of these long tail events play out in real time over the course of the past two and a half years with, with COVID. And some of those are kind of building on each other, right? So the baby formula, uh, you know, I mean, we may look back and find out this was a debacle based on, um, you know, not having good GMP processes in place or whatever it is. But if you're seeing these things, uh, you know, what we were seeing five years ago was these things would be industry specific. And now we're seeing more of a, everything's kind of more uh, global and I would say more endemic or, you know, it's it's really industry, it's not even industry driven, it's really kind of across the board. And and so it's pretty fascinating. And I think that's probably the more interesting, I think that's where you will see a shift in kind of supply chain planning and, and processes over the course of the next five years, because, you know, it's reality now. Something you plan for a five to two to five percent uh, chance of occurrence now ha has happened, played out in multiple industries across multiple supply chains over and over again over the past two years. So yeah, baby formula may be the perfect illustration of that case in point because it was one of the first products that people hoarded during the COVID there shutdowns of March 2020, which completely okay. distorted the demand signal, which meant then they began right. producing based on that distorted signal and there were overages. So they cut production pretty drastically and then, which was okay until you lose a plant entirely. And then we have this extreme shortage. That's a great point, Pat. Yep. Well, I cannot wait to see what crisis in the world emerges between now and next year. I don't know. Uh, we should start odds or a pool in it, but. Hey, thanks everybody. This is a really unique topic, really unique point of view from all of our combined experiences. Hopefully others find it interesting. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. This was Chain Reactions, the SCM Connections podcast. For more great content, go to scmconnections.com.